I don't really necessarily want to live in a world shaped by people just trying to make the most money. That That's not like the most fun thing ever to me. So HipCamp was really a way to take this really powerful technology, the internet, and combine it with this deep love and passion I have for the outdoors and for nature and and find a way to not only make nature more accessible to people and also protect a lot of land in the process. We don't often hear about the intersection between technology and the outdoors. Many people think of the subjects as complete opposites. But for Alyssa Ravasio, the two have always gone together. Alyssa is the founder and CEO of an online platform called HipCamp. Booking a campsite and booking a campsite online has always been kind of a pain. With HipCamp, Alyssa has found a way to connect folks with campsites on public and private land. This creates more camping spots and makes it easier to find a place to hunker down under the stars. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. Alyssa, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. I'm so excited to have you on. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm curious, were you always outdoorsy growing up? Were you a camper? I was a camper growing up, for sure. I was very fortunate to have parents who prioritized time outside and especially time camping. So spent most of my summers growing up going to different campgrounds, sometimes for up to two weeks, which is, a, as I know now in my position, a pretty rare thing for people to do. But yeah, we would sometimes book a campsite and just stay there for a week or two, which was um, incredible. That is incredible. Where would you go? Like, Do you have any memories of amazing camp stories growing up? So many. Um, we'd spend a lot of time in the uh, High Sierra, so Tuolumne Meadows, um, into the Yosemite Valley sometimes, but especially up there, uh, Trinity River, pretty much anywhere within driving distance of the Bay Area that had good fly fishing. We have probably camped there. <laughs> Are your parents um, my, fly fishermen? Okay. Yeah, so my dad is is really into it, and then we also got into it um growing up. Spent a lot of time in rivers. My mom would stop at gas stations and buy those like the inner black tubes you can use to fill up truck tires. And we would like take those down little rapids, sometimes looking back on it, bigger rapids than we probably had (laughs) business doing as children. But we, you know, especially when you stay at the same campground for a week and you get really comfortable with the river every day is like, all right, let's try the next, the next level up. What's the slightly bigger waterfall? What's the slightly longer you know, rapid. And, and we spent a lot of time doing that. It was great. On truck inner tubes. Yeah. It's that a good hack. so fun. I did once on a blow up paddleboard. It was terrifying and fun. Yeah, I like paddleboarding on rivers too, but the inner tube's good because you've got a lower center of gravity. And like normal inner tubes will pop the second they hit, you know, a rock or a stick, but a truck inner tube, you can really, you can get some mileage out of that. Pro tip, but... <laughs> If you get hurt, we're not liable. Amazing. I love that. Correct. So you found a way to use tech to promote the outdoors, which seems almost oxymoronic. And you're like, no, tech can actually promote the outdoors. Yeah. I think a lot of it is a bit of an accident of what time you are born. So I was born in 1988. And so I got to use computers pretty early. I remember probably being seven or so and like, being obsessed with kid pics, which I maintain to this day is one of the 
coolest software applications ever created. Um, so I always had this really super positive association with tech um, as a really creative way. Like I was using KidPix to make stop animation films mostly. Um, I was using iMovie to make little films with my sisters all the time. And so I had this really, you know, creative association with technology. So at college, I had intended to be a film major. Um, I'd wanted to go to UCLA and major in film for most of my life. I think film is incredibly powerful when it comes to changing how people see the world um, and just moving culture forward. I didn't get into film school. I found out at the last minute possible, it was a terrible disaster. I was heading into my senior year with no major and therefore no ability to get a degree. And so um, I literally went to ucla.edu forward slash majors and <laughs> started reading what major maybe could I take and finish. And down at the bottom of the page, I saw this asterisk of individual studies. And I said, that's me. That's where I feel like I am in life right now. And ended up creating a major about the internet and how it was impacting our culture and our world, which was funny enough why I didn't get into the film program, or at least part of why I didn't get in is I had pitched them on letting me study the internet and how it was going to change Hollywood. And that wasn't something at the time they were interested in or wanted to support a student studying. So I got to create my own. And um, when I was at UCLA, obviously at the time, I think Facebook was, you know, starting to get a lot of, you know, concerning press and people were starting to kind of ask the question of, hey, social media, is this really as good as we think it is? What's going on here? And what I really based a lot of my work on and what I truly believe is that the technology itself in this case, the internet is neutral. Um, the impact it has is going to determine almost entirely on who learns to use it and what they use it for. And knowing how powerful the internet is, knowing that I believe we are still in the earliest days of the transformation it's going to have on our society, I became pretty obsessed with like, I want to learn how to use this tool and I want to use it for something that I think is good and important. And so in this case, it was, let's use this cool tool, the internet, um, to protect nature and get more people outside. It makes sense that Alyssa would want to combine her passions, technology and the outdoors, after graduating from college, she worked at a handful of digital startups, and in her free time, she started surfing and doing yoga. Alyssa hadn't gone camping much since she was a kid, but on New Year's 2013, she decided to take a new boyfriend on a camping trip. Camping was always a big part of my life, but it wasn't until after graduating from college, actually, that I started booking campsites for myself. Um, and there was one trip in particular where um, I wanted to show my then boyfriend, now husband, how beautiful California was. He's from Australia. He was trying to talk about feeling homesick. And I was like, hold on, like California is beautiful, too. You don't need to go back to Sydney to like see beautiful, beautiful oceans. And so even though, you know, camping so much growing up, I hadn't booked a site for myself. Embarrassing, but true, perhaps. I hadn't either. It's so hard. It's so hard, but I didn't know. I guess that's really the point of the story. I didn't know how hard it was. And so when I started looking for a campsite that I could take um, my husband, Owen, I was pretty shocked. I remember at one point actually crashing my computer because I had too many tabs open on my internet browser and just being like, why is this so difficult? Like it's, it's way too hard. And, you know, I was, I'm luckily I don't give up. That's one of my 
my my personality traits. And so I, I persevered and eventually found a site in Big Sur. Ah. And it didn't take bookings, which was really convenient because I took one look at the government's bookings website and was like, nope, can't figure that out. So uh, we showed up at this campground. It was beautiful. We actually got the last site. It was Andrew Malaret's a state park in Big Sur. And as we were walking up to the campground, I started looking around and everybody had wetsuits drying on the oak trees next to their tents and surfboards leaning against their tents. And I was like, what's going on here? We walked out to the beach and there was a beautiful point break. Beautiful. And everybody at the campground, I would say over you know 80% of the people, had their surf gear. They knew what was going on. I love to surf. Um, I was at that time keeping a surfboard in my car at all times just in case. And I'd actually taken it out of my car um, to come down for this camping trip. And so I had this just, you know, really kind of heartbreaking moment of I did so much research. I tried so hard. And yet somehow I still didn't learn what for me would have been, you know, the most important thing to know about this campground, which was that it's home to this incredible wave um, and still had a good trip. But driving back the next day, right as I pulled into San Francisco, I did have a, it was a really a moment. It was a big aha of like, wait, that whole experience was way too broken. I feel so much better. Every time I go outside, I feel happier. I feel healthier. I know what matters. I stop thinking about all the stuff that doesn't matter. And I was like, I really want more people to get to feel the way that I feel now. Maybe the internet could help. Maybe we could use technology to make it simpler to go camping. Um, And that was the original seed. When Alyssa decided to pursue hip camp full time, she had a basic vision in mind. She wanted to create a platform with photos, reviews, and easy booking opportunities. At the time, Alyssa wasn't concerned about whether a campground was public or private. She just wanted to make it easier to find campsites. She brought together her new business idea and her tech experience and hit the ground running. But pretty quickly, Alyssa hit a roadblock. She needed to learn how to code. So I think the, the hardest part for me actually was very early on hip camp was a solo venture it was just me like it was me and my laptop I was lucky to have a coding mentor who basically I would she actually gave me free office space Liz Howard amazing woman and she was teaching a programming class downstairs and so I would spend most of my days upstairs unable to like I don't know move a button across the page one inch and wanting to throw my laptop at the wall. And then I would go downstairs and she'd like fix it in two minutes. And that was like pretty much our pattern for like the two or three months when I first built the site. So that was a really challenging period, but I also loved like coding's actually amazing and that you get to kind of make a little bit of progress all the time. And so as someone who really enjoys that feeling of like, I did it, I did it again. I moved the button an inch, yay. Like, you know, celebrate the little things, right? I think the darkest part was after launching the site, I worked so hard and I had this idea that if I launched the site by June for the start of summer, it was just going to take off, right? Because everybody knew it was too hard to find a campsite. Here I'd built this great solution. Let's go. And for the first three months, there were so few people using the site that, you know, like I would see on my Google Analytics, there were two people on the site and I'd be like, oh my gosh, who is that other person who's not me? And then I'd be like, oh, it's just me. I opened an incognito window. It's just two of me. So I think that period of time was really hard when you feel like you've put so much work and love into a project and then like no one catches you on the other side, at least for me at first. That felt really um like terrifying, honestly, like really embarrassing. I was, I had a lot of thoughts. I actually went back and 
reread a lot of my journals from that time period. And a lot of what I was thinking at the time was like, this is so embarrassing. Like, what do my parents think? What do my friends think? Like, I should just go get a job. <laughs> like, this is so dumb. So it was just a really like, I think, dark time in terms of like judgment um, of myself. And then the upswing of that story is eventually after many months of, of just feeling like this isn't going anywhere, I should probably do something more responsible with my life. Um, somebody booked a campsite. So we actually used to let you book public campsites on HipCamp um, through a very jerry-rigged system where you would book them. I would get a text message and then go book it for you. And <laughs> it's pretty cool, right? Um, and so somebody booked a campsite and I looked her up and she like was this cool artist in Oakland and like we didn't have a bunch of friends in common. It wasn't like a pity booking. And, you know, I wrote her an email and I was, of course, very calm. I didn't freak out at her, but I was just like, here's all your information and everything. And so that first booking um, gave me all the like energy I needed for many more months. I just needed one person to, you know, trust trust the site and, and, and kind of trust us with their their next camping trip. How did she hear about it? Um, she had heard about it through friends. So I was like doing a lot of like posting and Reddit and emailing people. Um, so I was like really trying to get the word out there. But yeah, she had heard about it um, from a friend. So I think when people hear about things from friends, they're more likely to trust them. That reservation was the first of many. HipCamp has now facilitated over 7 million bookings across the US, the UK, Canada, and Australia. They have more than 600,000 campsites, treehouses, and cabins listed on their website. When we come back, Alyssa talks about the decision to work with private landowners, how HipCamp prioritizes sustainability, and the moment Alyssa knew that her business idea would be a success. Alyssa Ravasio is the founder and CEO of HipCamp. If you haven't heard of it, HipCamp is kind of like Airbnb for camping. The company is most known for the revolutionary way that it opened up private land, creating an opportunity for landowners to rent out sites on their farm, vineyard, or family property. There are some extraordinary listings on the platform. Campsites with river views, glamping situations with soaking tubs, tiny houses, and so many more. Over the years, the company has changed and evolved a lot. It took a while for them to find their footing. Do you have any memorable stories of when like things went wrong or things went really right? And you're like, okay, yeah, this is what I meant to do. Maybe just some lessons you learned early on. So I think the one of my most important lessons has been how important it is to be to really fall in love with the problem instead of the solution. So when you fall in love with the problem, which in my case was like, it's way too hard to go camping and book a campsite and figure out what I'm actually getting into. The solution um, is something that you get to then kind of co-create with your community, with the universe, with all the you know other external forces that are kind of moving and changing in the world. And so the original idea for Hip Camp was actually just putting all the public campgrounds on a single map and then letting people add reviews and photos. And I thought that would kind of be enough and that would solve the problem. And through 
a lot of advocacy for open data, a lot of like really hard fought and eventually won battles around open data. Um, we learned over time that while public land is really important, it's often really overused as well. And so having all the public land wasn't enough. It wasn't actually going to solve the problem of it being too hard to find a campsite. We needed more places to send people. And actually one of the kind of lowest points of the company was one night I remember walking around with my um, my boyfriend Owen and really saying, you know, gosh, what are we going to do? We don't have any way to make money as a business. We're not going to die. I'm not going to let that happen. Like we need a new business model. Um, and it was so it was so bad <laughs> that we went to this uh, little Italian restaurant in North Beach and, you know, a glass of wine in started drawing on the paper tablecloth um, business models for hip camp. <laughs> it's just like multiple years into starting the company and we're still just like, wow, how are we going to, you know, how is this thing going to make money? And so that was how we came to the idea of partnering with um people who have land, who are taking care of land, these private landowners. And it was really born from this just like obsession with solving a problem versus being attached to, you know, I want this product to look or work this a certain way. Um, that's really what led us to figuring out this really, I think, wild idea, which is what if we open up, you know, tons of new land for outdoor recreation every day? Let's, you know, open up new places to camp on private land. But it wasn't until looking at private land through this lens of if this is wildly successful in 10 years, what has changed? And when I looked at private land through that exercise, what I realized is we will have, you know, really changed the landscape for outdoor recreation. Because if you really succeed, if you really knock it out of the park, you're looking at maybe, I don't know, twice as many places to go hike and camp and put your feet in the river and, and sit out under the stars. And that would be really powerful. And then the kicker, which really is what captured, you know, my heart was what a powerful way to protect all this land. When we have people going and playing and surfing and swimming and hiking, there's a reason to keep that land natural and to not develop it or log it or mine it or anything like that. And so it was recognizing that this wouldn't only, you know, transform outdoor recreation, but also really... We'd been focused a lot on protecting and defending our public lands, which is ridiculous that we still have to fight that battle today, but we do. And it was, let's do that and let's play offense. <laughs> let's go get more land and open it up for people to play and recreate in. And, and private land is really, is really the way to do that. So that really started this next era of the company focused on unlocking access to new places to camp. So how did you find these private lands? Did you start knocking on doors, calling random people? Did you have like a task force? What's that look like? Yeah, yes to all of the above. So the, the, you know, finding private landowners is definitely the most challenging part of the company. It is absolutely the hardest part. Um, our very first host was actually someone who my dad had the good sense to reach out to through a program that offered fly fishing on private land. So we just knew that if, hey, if you're open to having fly fishers, like what's a couple of campers? Um, we then did have to offer them $15,000 to sign up. Um, we had a very cool partnership with Mountain Hardware where we were giving away um, basically a summer's worth of camping on their land. So I was able to prepay them, um, which is I think what made the difference at the end of the day. And then, you know, once you have a little bit of success and you can point to this, you know, host who made all this money and had a really, you know, good experience, then you use that to basically do a bunch of outreach and recruitment to other landowners. And then, you know, fast forward to today, the vast majority of our hosts hear about us through the community. So um, it's about half and half. Half the time they're hearing about us from other hosts who have, 
you know, had a really good experience and earned money and encouraged them to sign up. But half the time they're hearing about us from people who've camped with us. Um, it's often, you know, someone goes camping with hip camp, has a great time. And then on the drive home is like, this is the thing for, you know, uncle Sally's blueberry farm. Like this is perfect for them. And then they give them a call. Um, and so today the vast majority of people are, are finding us. Over the past decade, HipCamp has unlocked access to four and a half million acres of land. One huge focus for Alyssa is to help preserve and nourish this land. HipCamp partners with scientists and biodiversity specialists to teach landowners about plant and animal preservation. Everyone benefits from this system, campers, property owners, and mother nature. Hip camp's always been something that I view as we're building this in collaboration with the community. We got to go get feedback. We got to hear what's good, what's not so good. And so I went out to meet um, one of these very first hosts. She's a rancher up in Sonoma. And I remember getting out of my car and I saw her and I was pretty nervous, to be honest. And she was walking at me with this piece of paper. And I was like, oh, no, it's like a list of complaints and things that are broken on the website. And, you know, it's kind of freaking out. And, and and she came up to me and she handed it to me and she said, hey, it's so great to meet you. First thing I wanted to show you is this letter. And this is a letter from a land development company. And this company is offering to buy our land um, to add either a housing development or like a, you know, golf course resort. And we get these letters all the time. And I hate them. Um, because if I sell this land, I will have completely failed on my life's mission, which is to leave this land a little better than I found it. Um, at the same time, don't always know how I'm going to make my mortgage. And so, you know, she shared that sometimes she's worried she's going to have to call him. She's got to keep the letter there just in case because, you know, maybe we'll have to carve off 40, 60 acres and, and figure something out. She said, I'm giving you this letter because HipCamp makes it junk mail. I don't need it. I don't even have to open it. And I know now that I can, you know, earn the income I need through camping to take really good care of this land for, for forever. That was a really powerful moment for me that I think kind of connected this original very you know simple desire just to like it really just started with wanting to feel good like when I go outside I feel happier and healthier I want more people to feel that too to then understanding wow outdoor recreation is such a powerful engine it is a very powerful economic engine that can protect land which we need now more than ever right land use change is the leading cause of biodiversity loss We've lost 70% of our wildlife since 1970. We have to protect the land we have left. We have to. Like, this is the time. we got another decade, maybe tops. So figuring out these engines that can really protect land at scale and outdoor recreation is, you know, as far as I can see, one of the most scalable, if not the most scalable, was, was a huge, continues to be a huge source of inspiration and motivation for myself and the team. Oh, I love that story. So when do you think you first realized we're on to something, this is going to be successful. I remember very early on doing a review of, of some of our very first reviews of one of our very first hip camps. And I was just reading through what everyone had said about their time there. And skinny dipping came up many times. We're talking like in our first, you know, 10 or 20 reviews here, multiple people said, oh my gosh, this was the first time I went skinny dipping in decades. Heck yeah. And I remember reading that and being like, oh, we are onto something. If we are creating a product that makes people feel comfortable getting naked in the outdoors, this is a good thing. Let's do more of this. Um, and so I think one of the most unique aspects that brings a lot of the hip camp sites together is the privacy element. So finding places where you can feel 
kind of wild and free, um, get some breathing space is so important. Um, most of us live lives that are pretty fast paced, pretty intense, um, and finding places where we can really just unwind and stretch out and take a deep breath is so important. Listen, I promise I'm not being paid to tell you this, but I recently did an overnight with Hip Camp. Johnny and I stayed in this tiny house that was shaped like a castle in Joshua Tree. You could order a s'mores kit and firewood that the host delivered to the campfire on his bike, and the stars above were just incredible. There was even a sauna and an outdoor shower. I know, it was glamping at its finest, but it was glorious. I really admire the way that Alyssa has used her values, skills, and creativity to start a business that's making a huge impact on outdoor access. If you want to learn more about HipCamp and the sites they offer, head to hipcamp.com. That's H-I-P-C-A-M-P.com. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, produced by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Pierce-Nitzberg of Puddle Creative. And our senior producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow the show, when you rate it, and when you write a review wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. <laughs>